Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Cool Hand Grace podcast. Each week, we are exploring a biblical passage or topic, offering insight and application, and seeking to point us to hope and direction for our lives. We also have devotional interactive questions for each podcast, ideal for small groups. I'm Pastor Kurt Witzig, and on behalf of the College Ministry at Duluth Bible Church, welcome. Welcome once again to the Cool Hand Grace Podcast. Today, we are going to start a short series from Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. This passage addresses finding freedom from an anxious spirit, something I'm sure we can all benefit from in our coronavirus-impacted days. Have you been sitting in some bummer soup that has you down? Maybe circumstances are crowding you in and getting heavier and heavier? Or maybe not. Maybe you're just stuck in a funk and can't seem to shake it off. Sometimes, every now and then at least, when we find ourselves in such a place, then something happens and it uproots us and changes the landscape of our thoughts. Maybe a circumstance changes or something we hear strikes a chord and suddenly we have a change in perspective and we are off and running again. It is awesome when that happens. But there are a lot of times when that doesn't seem to happen. Well, today we're taking on a tall order here on the Cool Hand Grace podcast, and we're going to see if our discussion here today might just have that kind of positive impact in our hearts and lives. It's worth a try, on your part, to listen in and see. So let's begin. And we're going to start today in Philippians chapter 4. And we read, beginning in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, for context. Paul says, Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore Yodia and I implore Synthache to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. So we see Paul is addressing some kind of a division that had been going on in this local church at Philippi, and he wants to offer some words of encouragement toward helping that situation. And you know, because when there's division, there's usually usually also tension and stress, team building can happen, and other people around it are uncomfortable. You know, you have these awkward kind of moments, and it's not really healthy, and Anxiety typically comes on the heels of that kind of division. So as we read in chapter 4, 1 through 3, as we just read, notice how Paul describes the believers there, the people who he's writing. He calls them my beloved brethren. We are, we are connected as family. And you're longed for, longed for, brethren. You're wanted. And he says, you are my joy and crown. How much he valued them. And then he ends that little intro part with beloved a second time, reminding them for the second time of how they are loved. Then, after that opening intro to the what he wants to say, he gives the specific exhortation to two individuals. 
where the division apparently was in that body. Now, he doesn't rehearse the facts of who said and what said and what happened. He's not reviewing the case that each may have had or one against the other. He does not seeking to assess blame. There's no rubbing their noses in what has gone amiss. Just one strong encouragement. Be of the same mind in the Lord. So the appeal is to our thinking. You are in him, he's saying, as Christians. You're in him. Now, meditate on that. How did you get there? How did that position come about? Why are you there? What is that to be all about in our lives? Be of the same mind in the Lord. Then he adds another encouragement to another person there, a true companion to to help these two individuals, to help them in their dispute. And how are the disputers now referred to in verses uh, uh, 3? They labored with me in the gospel, Paul says. They're, They're fellow teammates. They worked together with others. And their names are in the book of life. They have an eternal destiny. And so it's kind of like eyes on the prize. We have a greater destiny, a greater cause, a greater objective. Let's be of the same mind in those greater spiritual realities. And that's it. His personal exhortation then is done. And now we get to our section we want to look at in verses 4 and 5 today. It's a discourse unit, actually, verses 4 through 9. So we'll look at it in a couple weeks here ahead as well. And his discourse unit is freedom from an anxious spirit. And he starts in verses 4 and 5. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Philippians 4 verses 4 and 5. There likely was an anxious spirit amongst those in Philippi at this time in light of this division that we just talked about. And so Paul gives a series now of five imperative verbs to help the situation for all of them. And we're going to look at three of those imperatives this week, and then we'll see two more next time. And he starts bluntly with just this, rejoice in the Lord. To rejoice is a result of something. Something triggers that rejoicing. You can't just turn it on, manufacture it. You know, I was thinking of the Bob Marley uh, famous song, Don't Worry, Be Happy. And from the second stanza, he sings, Ain't got no place to lay your head. Somebody came and took your bed. Don't worry, be happy. The landlord say your rent is late. He may have to litigate. Don't worry, be happy. Huh? I'm losing my home? How am I supposed to not worry and be happy in that? You see, belief, actions, or belief comes before actions or our behavior. So we need something in our perspective, our framework of thinking, our worldview, if you will. And there's nothing in this song that's going to help anyone get through these, their trials. Just be happy. In fact, at the end of the song, he says, just be happy. Don't bring everybody down like this. Don't worry. It will pass, whatever it is. Well, Paul is saying, rejoice. But thankfully, it's not an empty instruction, baseless, void of reason. He appeals to something. He mentions something that is to be the basis for our rejoicing. And this something is quite real. Uh, And and this, this is talking about a joy 
strong and compelling. You know, we know what happiness is. Happiness is my team won the game. I got a really good parking spot at the mall. I got three green lights in a row. Someone paid me a compliment about my shoes or my hair. They're caught up in the moment, happiness, things that are very momentary. But joy speaks of something a little more deep-seated. It's an extended gladness. Joy moves beyond circumstances. It moves beyond the moment. Dare we even say it's eternal? So what is the basis for this joy that Paul is instructing us? Rejoice! With an exclamation mark, rejoice. He says, in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Now, this can be taken several ways, or actually really all of them. One, you could be rejoicing about the Lord. That is, who he is, reflecting on his attributes. It's so good to know him and be aware because he has revealed himself to us. He wants to be known, and we can study and look in his word and see even attributes that come out that help us describe and understand him. And which attributes would you draw upon, would you think upon that could help you in, even in, enable rejoicing when you're in the midst of conflict, like maybe at Philippi? Maybe we could stop and consider in the midst of some conflict or some division how God is sovereign. He, res- he resides over all. We all bow a knee to him. How God is all-knowing. He knows all the details. Nothing's going to get by him. We're not going to fool him. He's all wise. He knows. He's very wise and mixes that with love and goodness and even can encourage and direct our steps in that conflict. And he cares. How about if you're undergoing anxiety? Which attributes might rise up and be emphasized in our thinking in that situation? He's again sovereign, is certainly one. And maybe that he's all powerful. Everything's in his control. And that he's fundamentally good. And that he cares, has a personal love. How about if you're just wanting security? You feel insecure, whether it be temporal or eternal. What attributes of God might rise up in our thinking and be emphasized? He is faithful. He's all-powerful. He's veracity or truth. He doesn't change, and his word is true. And We can find security in what he says. So this is a process we do in our thinking. If we're heartbroken, which attributes might come to the surface, be emphasized in our thinking and we remind ourselves? Or if we're facing a health crisis? Or if you're a fear monger, which ones would be good attributes to consider in the midst of your fear mongering? So rejoice about the Lord, his attributes and who he is. You could also look at this rejoice in the Lord, emphasizing this relationship aspect. The circumstances in which we are to rejoice then are not earthly ones, but it's because we are in the Lord. We have a union with the Lord. This speaks of our position in him. That is true of every Christian. And this becomes grounds for our joy. I've been born again. I have new life, a new identity in him, and I'm seated with him in the heavenlies right now. I'm forever in him, and he is always in me, this union, and there's intimacy, and there's, there's to be joy in this. It's a position that's true, but I have to take it by faith to process it and enjoy it practically, rest upon it. The position, again, is fact, but we're to walk daily in a fellowship by faith seeing this closeness with Christ and that it's ours. 
we have an eternal pairing with him. Or thirdly, we can rejoice because of the Lord, what he has done, what he's provided, what has he promised? Like, what has he done? Well, he has declared his love for the world and has sent his son on a rescue mission to come and pursue us. And he knows us by name and he's offering eternal life to any who would take it in light of what Jesus Christ has done in his death and his resurrection. What has he provided? He's provided eternal life and a full forgiveness, a full cleansing, as well as a new birth and identity in him. And he's given us the Holy Spirit to dwell in us. What has he promised? His presence is always with us. We're never alone. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. He promises to build, to strengthen us and, and shepherd us. And what has he pledged? He's pledged his care and his love. So we can rejoice because of the Lord and what he's done. So we see who he is. We see our position and identity in him, what he has done, what he will do. This is perspective of thought that needs to be prodded and we need to be reminded and renewed in. And then we take it by faith. God has revealed this and so we can behold him. This is our God and we can believe it. You know, if you're in a room and in one corner there's a sewage backing up, uh, gurgling out of a floor drain. It smells and it's ugly and it's disgusting. In kitty corner from that room, it's a big room, so it's quite a ways away. There's dozens and dozens and dozens of fresh flowers with blooming with array of color and aroma and variety and the sunlight's coming through a window. So where are you going to stand if you're in that room? You have a choice. What are you going to look at? What are you going to dwell on? What are you going to focus on? What do you want to smell? What do you want to dwell on? You have a choice, friends. We can choose what we think and dwell on. We have freedom of thought. It's part of our wonderful creation as God has designed us this way. Haven't we had enough time to dwell on our sin and our failures and stare at the gurgling dream, what I'm not doing? God says our sins are gone as far as the east is from the west. He has forgiven us. Haven't we had enough time to feel guilty and wear shame and walk with our head down? God says, you are my child. And you've been fitted with the best cloak, and you have all the privileges, and your name is cleared. Rejoice. Let's take that in. That doesn't change. It's truth. It's the real reality. And we choose to call to mind eternal realities. That's what truth is, the real reality. So it is what it is. You look in the mirror, it is what it is. You are a child of God. You are can choose to walk over and take in those flowers, etc. Not that life's always perfect. We know that. It's not at all. But in our thinking, we can dwell on what is a spiritual reality above and beyond our circumstances. And as you do that, joy begins to rustle inside, slowly perhaps, but by giving it a chance, recalling to mind what is true, and no yeah buts. Yeah, that might be true, but, and other qualifications to come in and somehow cloud this over. No wonder Paul repeats it, rejoice. And again, I do say, again, I say rejoice. Rejoice always. That's the time element. What's the time element? Always. Huh? Always? How is that going to work? Well, you remind yourselves, we are not called to rejoice in our circumstances because they might be poor and they might be difficult and they might be stressful and they might seem to be crowding us in. 
And we're not called to, we are called, however, to rejoice in the Lord and your relationship and identity and life in Him and His unchanging attributes and His faithful words and promises and how He sees you. Always? Rejoice always? You know, it's possible if that rejoicing and joy is not related to current circumstances. Are you always in Him? Are you always possessing eternal life? Are you always loved by Him? Nothing can separate us from His love, remember? Are you always possessing the Holy Spirit? Jesus tells us in John 14, 16, the Spirit will come and indwell us forever. Are you always on the Lord's radar? Are you always cared for by Him? Are you always heard by Him? Are you always a citizen of heaven? Are you always a child of God? Are you always a joint heir with Jesus Christ? The answer is yes. Can you rejoice in him always? Well, if you take God at his word, you can. Faith, trusting the real reality. Be, let him persuade you. This is who he is. This is what he has done. This is what he said. And this is who we are in him. But, but we can protest. Life is hard. I mean, look around. It looks bad. The circumstances are heavy. I've got wonders. I've got questions. I've got doubts. Maybe conflict is going on. Maybe anxiety is I'm struggling with. Maybe I, because I don't understand things, how they're going to work out. What's going on? So let's take a quick look at a biblical example to learn from. I'm going to drop in on Habakkuk. You think, well, what's that? Is that like a sickness? No, no, no. It's a person. He was a prophet, a prophet of God. His name was Habakkuk. And he took the Lord seriously. And he lived at a time when that was not the norm. The people of Judah in his time were wayward and indifferent to the Lord. Their rebellion and greed led them to idolatry and corruption. And how long, he cries out to the Lord at the beginning, he says, how long before you judge these people and make this right? How long? Why is this happening? Lord, where are you? And perhaps this might even sound familiar to our situation today. So I'd like you to look at Habakkuk chapter 1. I'm just going to look at a couple of verses, 1, 2, 3, and see his perspective at the beginning of the book. He starts by saying, The burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. Everything around him was what? A burden. O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear even cry out to you, violence, and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. Therefore the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. And the wicked surround the righteous through perverse judgment uh, and perverse judgment proceeds. How long, Lord, the burden and you will not hear, he says in verse 2. You are not, will not save in verse 2. There's strife and plundering and contention. No justice. Well, the Lord answers him throughout chapter 1 then and 2 and into 3. And he shows him a few things, walks him through some things. And then we get to the end of our book in Habakkuk chapter 3. And here we see as he ends the story his, how his thinking has changed and how he's been reminded of the excellence of God. And we get to verse 17, and he says, Though the fig tree may not blossom, 
nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yea, look around me, it looks bad, like the impact of sin. Things aren't going the way they should. Hard times are in here. And it's probably going to get worse, too. Everything seems like it's going south. And you could probably paraphrase that that verse <laughs> into modern lingo. And it'd be totally relevant. But verse 18, what about his personal response? As he looks around and sees the circumstances are the same. But verse 18, he says, Yet, like in light of all that, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on my high hills. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. What a contrast to the beginning of the book. Truth exposed to has an impact on us. It humbles us. It informs us. It awakens us. It encourages us. And it leads us to rejoicing. And he's saying the same thing here in Habakkuk 3.19 that Paul says in Philippians 4.4, Rejoice in the Lord. As Habakkuk can look and say, I will joy in the God of my salvation. Here will probably a physical salvation as he's looking at uh, temporal salvation from the coming judgment. But we certainly can apply it spiritually. The Lord God is my strength, he says. Notice the personal connection. His faith in him yields to some God enabling him. And he's encouraged in that. And he knows that he'll have feet uh, like the deer and those that, that, that uh, like deer's feet. And he'll make me walk on my high hills. And tough terrain, steep de- uh, terrain, I will walk, I will be enabled, and he is with me. I'm not alone. And so as we go back to Philippians 4.4, we see Habakkuk, his perspective there is very similar. We can draw encouragement from a believer who who employed this. Rejoice evermore. And in chapter 4 of Philippians, then he said, verse 5 rather, Paul says, And let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Let your gentleness be known. What does that mean? You know, the word has a variety of ways it's been translated. It's only used about five times in the New Testament. One uh, Greek lexicon says it's not insisting on every right of letter of law or custom. These are my rights. These are my liberties. It's yielding. It's gentle. It's a kind and tolerant, courteous spirit. Another dictionary says it's fair or unassertive, not quarrelsome. So here's this gentleness, like an inner peace or, or just, just a, a gentle or yielding spirit, kind and not quarrelsome. And let that be on display, Paul says. The Lord is in you, and he wants to work himself outward through us, and then this is on display. It is noticed to who? To all men. Sometimes we have to just pause and reflect and maybe reconsider or stop some of the bickering or complaining we're doing or the insisting on our liberties, or the spreading of fear to others. We need to just maybe stop talking and just start beholding, and thereby maybe start to rejoice. And then gentleness may come forth out of us, because we're anchored in Him. We are on display. People are looking. May we be an attractive appeal for one to consider Jesus Christ, instead of repulsing them. Well, Paul assumes this is present, this this gentleness with the Philippian believers. 
He says, let your gentleness, it's assumed it's there. And that would be an outflow of rejoicing, an outflow of fellowship and work in the Lord. We already saw these Philippians were united. They were, they were uh, on the same team in verses 1 and 2 and working together, a true companion. They were fellow laborers. So he knows that there's this track record. He's not trying to cast any doubt on them like, you losers. No, this is present within them. Let this be seen. Don't let the division choke that out is really and instead be like-minded and let's find ourselves rejoicing so as we refresh our minds and renew some eternal perspective from the word of god rejoicing may be welling up inside just gonna uh, share a couple more verses with you as we kind of start to wrap this up and in psalm 1611 david says you speaking to god you will show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore in your presence god is fullness of joy to be in his presence speaks of fellowship and like-mindedness having practical union with him and fellowship and harmony there and so we are in his presence i'm in christ but i'm also uh, enjoying this union and there there is fullness of joy Resulting from faith in these truths and claiming my position in him, I have fullness of joy. Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10 is another verse about joy, where in this case, Nehemiah tells the people after they had uh, read the word of God and been renewed spiritually, he says to them now, go your way, they can go home for the night, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. Remember them. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the reason why they might sorrow is because they had realized how wayward they had become and how much they had let the word of God be neglected. But as they were stirred up in it, he says, now don't sorrow, don't kick yourself. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And it comes by faith and being renewed in the truths and the realities that he presents. The joy of the Lord comes as you renew your mind and your heart with the real reality that is of God. And it starts to swell up from within you. It starts to gurgle up and it strengthens you. Right in the midst of your circumstances, you can be enabled by God. Can you see what Paul's doing in Philippians 4, verses 4 and 5? What a great way to safeguard against divisions. It's to remind us of our status in the Lord and to stir up rejoicing. If I'm choosing to rejoice in the Lord over my circumstances or situation, it'll be nearly impossible to hold a grudge against those whom I'm involved. When I'm meditating on Christ, beholding him, seeing my position in him, looking and reviewing at the attributes of God or what he has done or what he's promised to do, boy, that dispute seems smaller and smaller. In fact, if we're bitter or resentful, that's a good sign we're not rejoicing. And so we have every reason to. It's there. It's waiting. Just renew our minds. Let's run to him. Run to the Lord. Climb up next to him and sit there with him and let it go. The trial, the dilemma, the resentment. Just let it go. As we have something so much better. And we can allow the joy of the Lord to be our strength. And in his presence, there's fullness of joy. And we can rejoice. I want to close in Psalm 1846 this morning. There we read from the psalmist, The Lord lives. Blessed be my rock. Let the God of my salvation be exalted. 
The Lord lives. Blessed be my rock. God is a rock. One could say he rocks, and he wants to rock your world. All this truth that we talked about today directly applies to believers, those who know they are saved and possess eternal life. And then we can say the God of my salvation be exalted. How about you? Is God the God of your salvation? Is he your rock? Do you for sure know you will spend eternity with him? You know, just one week after Easter is a good time to briefly review the Easter story. The story was that God loved us from eternity past, desired to create us so we could enjoy relationship with him. He, and, but in our sin and our rebellion, that violates his holiness and it stains us with an uncleanness. So we are unfit for a holy heaven. There's a natural separation, but God provides the solution. And he sends Jesus to be incarnate here into this world, fully human and fully God. And he lives a holy, amazing life teaching and explaining God to us, and then he died. And he died, falsely accused on a cross, but he died for a much greater reason. He died for the suffering of our, for, so that he would suffer the penalty of our sin. He died for you and I as our substitute. He died for all humanity as God laid upon him at Calvary, the sin of us all, personally laying down his wrath against sin on Jesus Christ so that all of your sins, all of my sins, the entirety of them, big and little, hidden and known, They were laid out on Jesus Christ. And he was punished by God for what you and I did. It's amazing. He was willing to do that because he so loved us. Then Jesus resurrected from the dead, and God has put this on display for all to see, that that God has accepted the payment for our sins. And a living Savior now is demonstration to all that it's been paid, it's been finished, he's alive. He's the victor. He is offering now life to any who will take it. And you can come to him now. As John 3.16 reminds us, For God so loves the world, he loves you, that he gave his only son, his only begotten son, Jesus, who has died for you, that whosoever believes in him, are you persuaded so that you will trust him? That's what belief is. You will take God at his word. Do you believe he loves you? Do you believe that Christ came and died for you? Whosoever believes in him shall not perish ever, but have now eternal life. Eternal means eternal. And it comes by faith in him, not by works, not by rituals, not by any other means. Even a church can't save you. Only Christ can save us. And it's a, by grace. God gives us something we don't deserve. God's a gracious God, and he gives us this free gift. And once you believe, you are passed from death into life. Once you believe, you're born again into him, cleansed and forgiven. And once you believe, you're now in a new family with an identity as a child of God. And then all the truths we discussed here today would apply directly to you. Why wait? You can know for sure beyond any doubts that you have eternal life right now. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you that you have so much that we can rejoice in. You've given us so much to rejoice in. It never ceases to be there, these spiritual truths and realities. Your love is always. Your forgiveness is always. Our identity in Christ is always. So may we take all this by faith and enjoy it. And may be rejoicing more and more from the inside as we see who you are and what you've done for us and walk by faith in what you say. And we pray for anyone who's not 100% sure they have this eternal life. 
They're not 100% confident they belong to you and will spend eternity with you. We pray for them, Lord, now that they may see the Easter story, the real reality, a Savior who came for them, who died for them, who secured eternity for them on the cross, who offers eternal life as a gift. May they believe in Jesus Christ right now, the living, living, resurrected Savior. No church, no promise, no ritual, no pledge, nothing they have to do. May they just be persuaded by you, Lord, and believe on him, and then never perish but have life. We sure hope that they will see the simplicity of that and trust in you today. Thank you for your word, Father. May you use your word in our hearts as only you can, and we thank you for it. Just a reminder, before we leave, we do have some questions that are designed for some small group interaction. And if you'd like those questions sent to you, you just have to email us at coolhandgrace at gmail.com. Until next time, remember, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is always hope.